Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a further, another excellent episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt. I'm a science enthusiast. I am speaking from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people, and I am joined by my illustrious, creative... <laughs> I don't really know what illustrious means. I've just heard it oh. used, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would be sure. illustrious. Kate, why not? Why Co-host. The scientist. Yep. Kate. Yeah, thank you You're for welcome. That. You're so welcome. Stella introduction. Uh, oh, yes. I do what I can. Yes, I, I am Kate. I'm a scientist, a uh, neuroscientist specifically, um, and I am currently recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wurundjeri people, and I would like to pay my respects to this nation's first scientists mm-hmm. because what is science if not building on on prior knowledge. That's it. We are standing on the shoulders of giants, as mm, it were. Mm. And we must acknowledge our indigenous giants. Because God knows this country has done a fucking awful job <laughs> of doing it up to this point. <laughs> I laugh to prevent me from crying. I truly, <laughs> truly am sorry to the indigenous folk of not even just, not just Australia, just many westernized countries in the world. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> That's not what this episode's about. No, it's not. I want to, I wanted to do another, you know, I've been trying to keep the topics lighthearted and fun Light and recently breezy. because, you know, the state of the world is not lighthearted and fun at the moment. So, what are you talking uh, about? Everything's hunky and or dory these days. What? Are, yeah. What you, what you saying? We had an earthquake the other week. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. What Melbourne. the? What, what the um, fuck? I didn't realize we we got yeah. those. It was. It was. I was tempted actually to do an episode on earthquakes after that. I may still in the near future. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was, and the whole thing, like, because I've never experienced one, you know, in the flesh. And mm. so, like, the first thing that popped into my mind was, do you remember Questacon? Shout out to anyone that's ever been to Questacon <laughs> in Canberra, located in Canberra, Australia. The it's Science one of the Museum three there. things you can do in the ACT. I do mm. remember it very well. Um, fantastic, fantastic science museum. Shout out to all the science communicators that work very hard to put that together. Anyway, one of the exhibits um is an earthquake house where it simulates what it feels like to be in an earthquake yeah but like the floor kind of just shakes back and forth and i always thought it was pretty basic and i was like yeah i bet that's not what an actual earthquake feels like but like nope sitting in my house during that earthquake i was like oh shit the earthquake house was actually like that's exactly what this feels like like this is is onto something um and so like how's that for good impressionable youth uh taking away you know it obviously stuck with me all these years <laughs> you ever think we got into science because of questacon and being I, exposed I to that at such a young age living sci- in the act uh, and having like the csiro <clears throat> and all of those like well, really I mean, cool you know, programs other states have them like you know have science works and yeah wa um, has scitech scitech over yeah, in, yeah. But none, none are quite as good as Questacon, I don't think. Um, which definitely, <laughs> I think, inspired some of my love for science mm. as a kid, for sure. Um, anyway, you know what else has in- continued to inspire my love for science? A fantastic little award ceremony that I want to talk about this episode. Mm-hmm. I want to spend this episode talking about an award ceremony. Okay. Um, so, like, you may have heard of 
the Nobel Prize. I'm right. I've I've heard of that before. Yes, I'm familiar. You're familiar. With, I'm familiar yep. with the Nobel Prize. Um, for people who have conferred the greatest benefit to humankind is their official uh, byline. Uh, I don't want to talk about the Nobel Prize today. I okay. want to talk about something far better. Something called the Ig Nobel Prize. The Ig Nobel Prize. Yes. So this is a thing that I only learned existed uh, a couple of years ago, um, but it's something that's been running since 1991. It's run by, it was started by a guy named Mark Abrams, um, mm-hmm. and it's run by a magazine called The Annals of Improbable Research. Okay. Um, and it's essentially a big old fucking parody of the Nobel Prize. And it is amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, so like the word, so the Ig Nobel Prize is two words. It's like IG space Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. But like the word Ig Nobel, like one word, mm-hmm. Ig Nobel, but Nobel L-E, not E-L. Yeah. Uh, like that's an actual word. Ig Nobel means of humble origin or, you know, not honorable in character or purpose. Well, there you go. But word of the day, Ig Nobel. I'm going to start Ig Nobel. peppering mm. that into my conversation as of today. So the Ig Nobel Prize was established. Their their thing is they award it to to researchers, to scientists that have put out papers based on science that makes you laugh, then makes you think. That's their criteria. Mm. First, you're going to laugh at how ridiculous that study is. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually kind of dive into like why they did it and what they found out, it's going to make you think. It's going to make you be like... Oh, actually. Hold on a second. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, this is interesting. We may be onto something here. Um, so one person has actually won both a Nobel and an Ig Nobel Prize. Okay. Uh, a guy named Andre Geim. I possibly pronounced that wrong. I'm really sorry. Uh, but he's a physicist. He won the 2010 Nobel Prize in physics for his work with graphene. Um, which hey, is, we've you know, talked about that on the yeah, show Yeah, I was going to say, throw back to our episode on, on graphite if you want to know more, but single atom thick carbon essentially. Anyway, so he actually won the 2000 Ig Nobel Prize in physics for levitating a live frog with magnets. <laughs> when Guardium Leviosa swish yep. and flick the shit out of your wands. <laughs> yep. Levitating this, this is, a live real. frog with magnets. Real. Real study. So essentially okay. it, it has to do with the very weak magnetism that water has. So like water, like it's super weak, but essentially, apparently when you get a really expensive electromagnet and just like turn it up to full power, it can be enough to make water overcome gravity and levitate. And okay, so it's it's due to this thing called cool. diamagnetic levitation. Yeah, it's a really cool phenomenon where something that's, you know, not traditionally magnetic, like water, mm-hmm. can be made magnetic when placed in a strong enough magnetic field. Because all, like, so all of your electrons on all of your little water molecules, they all have tiny little magnetic fields that are usually because of the relationship between magnetism and electricity right. very complex. electromagnetism trust physics but, but basically yes, all of the electrons have their electrons own little have a little 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 have a little magnetic field yeah but they all point in random directions and so normally cancel each other out right but when yeah. there's a strong enough magnetic force applied mm-hmm. all of these can like align their magnetic charge in a direction that's going to repel whatever that outside magnetic force is and so essentially you can counter the downward pull of gravity with an upward magnetic push if you align your magnets in the right direction. 
Yeah. And okay. anyway, so this guy, this guy who's won, you know, an actual Nobel Prize in 2010 for working with graphene, um, mm-hmm. he he decided to do this with a bunch of random things, including a live frog. And no <laughs> negative side effects to the frog, apparently. Really? Um, yep. Because like, a frog is just a sack of water. I mean, we're all Essentially, sacks of water, right? Exactly. Um, is a frog the just a particularly wet sack of water that makes to do it, it on a human? You know, you'd need some real big, expensive equipment. Frogs are smaller. Um, yeah. Apparently, they needed a magnet of seventeen Tesla, which is a thousand times stronger than a fridge magnet. Um, I didn't know fridges. Wait, but fridge. Oh, okay. I know what a fridge, fridge magnet. magnet is. I was at like a magnet that sticks on a fridge. I was like, man, yes. do fridges need magnets to work? But I mean, also probably, right? They probably use uh, magnets. No, in like their like the ones, you know, that the plumber yeah. will give you to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah fridge yeah, magnet. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you now. A thousand times stronger than I feel that. like I'm overthinking the wrong part of this. A guy levitated a frog. That's <laughs> Yeah, a guy levitated a frog and he won an Ig Nobel for it. So this is the kind of science that so we're talking So did you say about. that he, he won his Nobel Prize for graphene in 2010, yeah. but he won his Ig Nobel prize in 2000 10 years earlier okay okay yeah so he won an ig nobel first and then went on to win an actual nobel and now is the only person to have won both so far so far um, me but i want to tell you i want to tell you more about the ig nobel prize ceremony right okay. so it's really cool when the ceremonies so you know pre-2020 mm-hmm. when the ceremonies were held in person mm-hmm. the winners of an ig nobel prize would get a handshake from an actual Nobel laureate. So yeah, okay. someone who has won a real Nobel Prize would come on and and hand out these awards, right? Mm-hmm. They also won a a a trophy of some kind. Um mm-hmm. and they won some money. They won some money. They oh, won ten trillion dollars uh, Zimbabwe. <laughs> well, what, they won a ten trillion dollar Zimbabwe note, which is doesn't even met like they stopped using those in 2009, so they're literally worth nothing these days. But when they stopped being usable, they were worth about 40 US cents. So, um, oh, that's fun. It's 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 a big old satire parody gag. It's it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, like you know, because you get a cash prize with the Nobel Prize. That's like probably it's, it's not an insignificant well. amount. Um, yeah. No, it is not. And so, yeah, ten trillion dollars Zimbabwe. And so the. Like, and the reason I want to talk about them now or why I was inspired to do an episode now is because, mm. like, we, we just had this year's ones. I said, well, I say just had. On the 9th of, 9th of September is when this oh, year's ceremony recent. was. We're still in September as of Yeah, recording. we're still in September. Uh, I think this will get released definitely. in October, but you know. You so, know, yeah, yeah, about a month ago is when these yeah. happened, right? Um, And because, you know, COVID last year and this year, they both did ceremonies, like, webcast, like, over mm-hmm. Zoom and stuff and and you know, virtual as everything is these days. Um, and apparently the winners got emailed a PDF, like printable self-construct paper trophy. So they could build their own trophies based on the, uh, yeah. So like the whole thing is just a big old, I I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through some of my favorite examples from, because I want to talk about the recent ones. So I'm going to talk about three from this year and three from last year, and then a couple of more historic examples that I just think are so worth mentioning. Okay. The 2021 Transportation Prize, mm-hmm. Ig Nobel Transportation Prize. Uh, actually, first, I want to read you the the title of the study that this prize was awarded to. So you can just, like, get the difference between, like, the scientific jargon and then and then what they 
what it actually means they did. Yeah. It's hilarious. Okay. okay. So this is quite a large group of researchers. I'm not going to name them all um, from a bunch of different countries, mm-hmm. but the the title of the paper is the pulmonary and metabolic effects of suspension by the feet compared with lateral recumbency in immobilized black rhinoceros captured during aerial darting. So they won the Ig Nobel Transportation Prize uh-huh. for determining by experimentation whether it is safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down. Air- Why are these rhinoceroses airborne? They literally suspended rhinoceroses from a crane for 10 minutes by their feet for this study. And it sounds like, hey, Peter, holy fuck. <laughs> but but no, there's actually a very serious and important reason why yeah, they okay. did this. Like, why, why are we lifting rhinoceroses? Okay. My, I'm, my first instinct is to be like, are, are they are they just suspending Concern. this endangered species for a gag? Because I mean, yeah, like, but, okay, I, I respect well, you've hit the, the nail bit, on the head. But... In, in, <laughs> yeah, you've hit the nail on the head in, in saying that they're endangered and yeah. conservation is a thing that needs to happen. Like, especially they use the the black rhino. So there's five species of rhino and they're mm. all endangered. There's only about five thousand black rhinos left estimated. Excellent. Um, which is not great. Um, and so a big part of conservation is essentially the remaining species of, oh, sorry, the remaining population of these rhinos. They mostly lived within like some guarded and fenced areas because they need protection, protecting from poaching. That's the, still Mm. the biggest threat to them, which is disgusting. But anyway, um, the problem with this is that all these rhinos they don't ever move to new areas or like mix their genes between areas. Right. And so translocation of rhinos is really important in conservation. First of all, to bring them into these like guarded areas, but then also to move them between different guarded and fenced areas so that you can have a more diverse spread so of your genes and then you're and more likely to survive as a species. species. Yeah. Yeah. And like rhinos weigh one and a half tons that's a few so, kilograms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's and at least four? the problem the sort of terrain that they live in um like it's very rugged and like it makes translocation by truck super impractical or impossible mm-hmm. so they're airlifted right okay they are tranquilized and airlifted um they've been using helicopters and this this method, this upside down method, because that's the safest way for them to be uh, carried in terms of like for the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they never actually tested whether it was safe mm. on the animals. Like the animals always seemed fine when they were dropped off and whatever, but like right. they but never it, tested it whether this kind of like, like a, was it's, doing it's anything for to their the heart. survival of the rhino that we get them from A to B and, you know, whether or not it affects them at the end of the day, mm. you're propagating the species. So it's probably always just being like, haha, for the greater good, it's fine. So it's good yeah. that they're doing testing on it now. But So yeah, well, that's what this study did. This study, they compared the respiratory function and the metabolic effects of rhinos hung from their ankles for 10 minutes by a crane to mm-hmm. simulate a helicopter mm-hmm. versus lying on their side for the same amount of time. Like they tranquilized them both the same way that they would and they had them lying on the side mm-hmm. um, or... And they found that the respiratory efficiency of rhinos hung, side, hung upside down is, if anything, slightly better when they were, when they were on their sides. Yeah, okay. 
that's so like not what I would have. It's thought. actually I know they they and that's not what they hypothesized either. They thought it would be detrimental. And it's they like came with out us, if you're hanging like, us oh, upside hey. down for a while, that's that's a bad time. The blood rushes to our yeah. head. But I suppose Apparently, rhinos are a different shape. Like if you hang them upside yeah. down, it's their back facing the ground. So right. I mean, I'm not gonna claim to know how a rhino's insides work more than the guys who did yeah, the study. Yeah, well, I mean, even the study, even the people who did the study, they hypothesized it would be detrimental and they mm. were surprised that it wasn't. So, you know, all in all, like one of those studies that you're like, what? And then you're like, oh. But, but I get what you mean about makes you laugh and then makes you think because it's not mm. like it's a total piss-take useless study for the sake of it being a joke. Like it ultimately gets mm. you thinking about these endangered rhinos and they're actually mm. ultimately doing good for them. And mm. that there's benefits to the study um, in terms of how it's going to affect the world overall. Mm. Mm. All right. Ready for the next one? Lay it on me. So the 2021 Ig Nobel Medicine Prize was awarded to researchers from Germany, Turkey and the UK for demonstrating that sexual orgasms can be as effective as decongestant medicines at improving nasal breathing. <laughs> as opposed to non-sexual orgasms? Well, I mean, <laughs> just the fact... Okay. So so the idea that... The, so the title of this particular study was <laughs> Can Sex Improve Nasal Function? An exploration between... Um, an exploration of the link between sex and nasal function. And so I wonder how the idea of that came about. Did a guy just Freud, he, fucking he, Freud. It was Freud. Freud I was going to be like, this... surely it was of someone who would just be like, they were having a cold, then they had a fuck and then they were feeling better. <laughs> Freud has this theory that there's, you know, some link between your genitals and your nose, because of course he does. Anyway, the point is that they were just kind of like, we know that a few different things can decongest the nasal cavity. We mm -hmm. know that like hormones and hormone levels can, you know, that there's endocrine stuff going on. We know that exercise can, mm -hmm. um, but no one has ever actually researched whether having sex can and like sex is exercise, but it's not just exercise. And especially if you're measuring orgasm mm. and at the point of orgasm. So essentially what they did, is they they followed 18 heterosexual couples, which were all healthcare workers or partners of healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. um, and they assessed their nasal function a few different times. Before sex, immediately after orgasm, mm -hmm. 30 minutes later, one hour later, and then five hours later. Okay. Um, and then on a different day, they did the same time point measure measurements, but instead of orgasm, they used a nasal decongestant spray. Right. And this was the control right mm -hmm. um and they found that sexual intercourse with climax can improve nasal nasal breathing to the same degree as application of nasal decongestant for up to 60 minutes in patients having nasal <laughs> obstruction. So Freud was right a little bit. Um, well, we don't, we don't know. We still, cause we still don't know why, like this is the thing. This has opened more questions than it has yeah. given us answers. Right. Cause there's, there's nothing into the actual mechanism. Like, is it to do with, you know, your sympathetic nervous system that gets active when we exercise and that's why exercise is good. And you know, mm. that kind of happens, you know, when we orgasm so much happens in the body, like what is it that's doing it? And, like, the interesting thing is, you know, three hours after sex, the the spray had was still working, but mm. nasal breathing in after orgasm had gone back to baseline. Right. So it's not as effective for as long, 
as the spray, but for but, the but first hour, like it gives you an hour of relief. That's like that's good certainly to know. not nothing. Yeah, exactly. Well, there we go. If you've got a uh, big speech coming up, you're feeling all congested. You, it's you know. <sighs> You need it for an hour, but oh no, the pharmacy's closed. You don't have any decongestant. That's all right. Just mm-hmm. jump on Tinder mm. and a quick I mean, fix. masturbation is. I mean, they didn't study masturbation. That was actually something I read. Mm. I read actually read this full paper mm. right, and in the discussion, they're like, you know, obviously they were all healthcare workers, so we don't know if it's generalizable. But also, like, it'd be great to know whether like this is orgasm experience specifically with a partner or whether you can like masturbate and get the yeah. same like benefit because that would be nifty. Like it just, you know, but my favorite part, speaking of the discussion, I'm just going to like quote this because, you know, I should say that they meant they measured nasal function in two different ways. It was mm-hmm. like self-assessment of like how it felt using this like scale of questions, but then they also used something called a rhinometric like a thing that you stick up your nose to okay. actually measure, like goop, um, and <laughs> the scientific term, right? And well, in the discussion, they go, "This study, however, has major li- limitations. We were not able to collect rhinometric data in all participants. This could be due to the participants' inability to focus on the device before and immediately after intercourse." Which, like, <laughs> fair, valid. You I kind of like ruin the mind. mood a bit. Like you're getting, you're like almost at the point of, like, you know. Of, or like you know intercourse and you're like shit i gotta shove something up my nose like oh because if they had to do it right do at it the properly. point oh jeez. <laughs> um yeah but like it's just given us so many questions that like yeah it makes you laugh but makes you think right yeah yeah okay third one from this year okay. um i've just picked my top three from this year mm-hmm. um so this one was the ig nobel peace prize i should say that these things that i'm reading out um, the wording of how they've worded these prizes, I've taken directly from the website of the Annals okay. of Improbable Research. So mm-hmm. this is how they've worded the prizes. Okay. Um, the Peace Prize was awarded to researchers in the USA for testing the hypothesis that humans evolved beards to protect themselves from punches to the face. <laughs> um, and the study title is Impact protection potential of mammalian hair, testing the pugilism hypothesis for the evolution of human facial hair. God, but, I love scientific jargon. <laughs> right? So the question was just essentially like, do beards, which cover pretty vulnerable parts of the face, provide protection to males when they punch each other? Is that in um, the sense if you can't see what you're punching or is it like literal cushioning? from? No, like like armor. Like, you know, your, your AC is, is boosted when you have more <laughs> body hair. That's what they're trying to find out. So essentially this all comes back to Charles Darwin, a well-bearded fellow, um, was the first person to wonder about human beards. Um, and he was like, cause he was like, why it's a very, what's called sexually dimorphic feature as in like, it's something that there are clear differences between males and females yeah. in terms of growing of facial hair Mm -hmm. and darwin realized that males of a number of species grow manes so like male lions Mm. or sea lions or bobcats or elks like a bunch of these animals and and these manes develop around the same age that animals reach sexual maturity and they start competing with other males yeah over females generally but you know just you know and so the kind of hypothesis around like lion manes and stuff is that it's to protect the neck and whatever during, during a fight and Mm -hmm. whatever. So it was like, okay, 
is is that maybe what's going on with humans? But then Darwin also pointed out that you know human beards also appear around the age that males become sexually mature. Yeah, and Darwin was more inclined to believe that human male facial hair was the result of female preference. So women just really preferred men with beards. And, you know, he had a beard, so of course he thought that. Like, <laughs> like an um, idea of sexual preference because it's like, ah, oh, beard means manly testosterone, fuck. meaning, ooh, strong man can protect me and my family, mm. good male role model in house. So that's- Yeah, and I mean, like... It's interesting because you could be like, well, maybe if you trace far enough back in our evolution, that's kind of why it was a thing. But there's been more recent like psychological kind of studies, questionnaires or whatever that have found that human females, at least like today, on average, do not find full beards to be particularly attractive. And in fact, Mm. females from more affluent this is once again very westernized yeah keep that in mind societies um are often more repelled by full beards than they are attracted now this is just like on average so obviously preference is going to differ or whatever but the point is there's enough sort of research out there to suggest that like let's let's explore some other options and so these guys were like hey i kind of like the lion mane theory Mm. let's i like let's see whether Beards provide physical protection. Like, will they protect the vulnerable face bits by Mm. absorbing and dispersing the energy of blunt impact? Yeah. Now, how did they test this? They just punch each other in the face a bunch and say, did that hurt? How How about that? How are you going to get fucking ethics for that? Um, And also, I'll see how much everyone's If everyone involved consents, just go to like a fight club or something and be like, all right, boys, let at it, you know? Uh, You would have to, surely you would have to then do some like facial scan to make sure the bones haven't shattered or whatever. Like you would need some actual data. You can't just be like, oi, that hurt. Because like... Otherwise, the other thought I would have, Mythbusters style, get some, like, ballistics gel test dummies and get some wigs and glue it to them and then just kind of hit that with some sticks and see what happens. Yeah, that's kind of more what they did. They modelled it, right? Mm. And so the way they modelled it, they were like, okay, we want to test two things. Well, three things, essentially. The, the bone, the skin, and the hair and the hair follicle, etc. Mm-hmm. And so... The beard and the hair part, they used sheep fleece to model mm-hmm. because like while sheep fleece isn't a perfect match for the hair of human beards, apparently the like volume of the follicles in the fleece samples did like are approximately the same volume as, as beard follicles okay. and they did it. But yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good proxy. The bone tissue they modeled using something called short fiber epoxy composite So just an epoxy resin thing that had a similar strength and stiffness to bone. Yeah. And they took the sheepskin and like the sheep fleece and laid it over the top of the bone tissue epoxy. And they were like, here is our human face. Uh Um, And they had three different conditions of sheep fleece. They had skin that had been like completely plucked. So like no hair, but also no like, follicles like nothing just completely plucked Uh um they had sheared fleece so Uh not lengthy hair but still leaving the follicle intact in the skin yeah so like stubble so you've got you've you've got bit of a um, five o'clock shadow if you'd had a someone if you'd waxed your beard (laughs) versus if you'd you'd got a bit of stubble going on um God, does anyone wax their face? I can't think of anything. Well, okay, I don't know. Crackers, I hope not. I oh mm, I'm just no um, all right, sorry, continue. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> and then and then the the full beard version was eight centimeters of fleece because apparently that best mimics the the bushiness and length of a human beard. I don't know. Um, <laughs> And so they measured using something called a drop weight impact test where they mm-hmm. had a machine that like literally dropped a big metal impact head down mm-hmm. onto the fleece epoxy and kept pushing until it broke. And they measured hydraulic the amount press. of force. <laughs> Sorry. Have you ever seen the hydraulic press channel on YouTube or TikTok? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like not quite a big flat pressure thing but like mm. a, a more, more shock like a impact metal stick yeah like a blunt blunt object but still like a an object that just dropped down and went mm. boof yeah and they measured the amount of force that each sample absorbed before breaking mm-hmm. and they found that the third samples absorbed 30 percent 37 percent more energy compared to both the plucked and the sheared That's so apparently the hair follicles actually. don't make a difference but if it grows out like 37 percent's not nothing um, that kind of makes sense, right? It's it's cushioning, it's crumple zones. You've got mm. air airbags in between. Like I, yeah. I figured it would do something, but thirty seven percent's actually mm. like, yeah, that's it something. Was well, that's not nothing. within the statistical significance. Um, and they also like hypothesized that full beards can reduce against like cuts and bruises to the yeah. skin and muscle of the face as well. Like it's not just the blunt impact. Like mm. it's just a very good protective feature. So, yeah, right. It's also decent enough. um, Imagine it provides good, like, sun protection, weathering protection. Sometimes I'll find if I'm working outside for a good week and I don't shave for a bit and then I go home and shave, I have, like, a very small tan line around the little bit of Mm. stubble that I can actually grow compared to the rest of my (laughs) face. And... So I wonder if someone had a full beard, they went out in the sun for a while, then completely well, shaved defi- their beard, would they have a weird <laughs> beard tan line going on? I mean, I've definitely the notice, like I have a buzz cut at the moment, right? Mm. And I've had different lengths of very short buzz cut through to it grown out through to back when I had quite long hair. And mm. I definitely, when I shave it to like quite a short buzz, like my head gets sunburned. Yeah. That's not a thing that's always happened to me. Like, you know, you might get a sunburn down your... um what's it called? Your part line. Yeah. But yeah, like anyway, there you go. Want to know what's next? Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's 2021. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to last year. Yeah. uh, Because I read some of these like as, because I was aware that this was happening last year. And I remember these were the three that sort of stuck in my head as being Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, this is hilarious. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, So I want to tell you about them. The 2020 acoustics prize, Ig Nobel prize Prize. in acoustics which I thought you might you might get excited about. I am this intrigued. Um, was awarded to a group of researchers from Austria, Sweden, Japan, USA, and Switzerland. Uh-huh. Um, Motley Crue. Paper title, A Chinese Alligator in Heliox, Formant Frequencies in a Crocodilian. So they won this prize. Excuse me. <laughs> for, in, for, for inducing a female Chinese alligator to bellow in an airtight chamber filled with helium-enriched air. They 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 made an alligator breathe in helium and make it do high pitch noises and then make sounds so that they could record whether well they wanted to know whether helium made the alligator 
more high pitched or not. Uh, like and what? it did. Surely they the, found that it did. There's, I see no reason why it would be any different from animal to animal, right? Like the, the all of our vocal cords and sounds work the same, right? Air comes from lungs past vocal cords out into world, and if the air's less dense, it makes it vibrate at a higher frequency. That's why would is why would that be different in an alligator? Why would they need to do that other than haha? We made alligator do funny high pitch squeak, which I respect. I a hundred percent respect. But I, of course, right? Why did it take researchers from fucking seven countries to to, to figure this one out? What were because they all doing? It's do actually it? not that simple. Um, <laughs> what's really fucking interesting is that not all animals you make resonances um and and use that in their communication what? so like frogs for example they don't change their resonances to make different sounds and communicate different things like humans mm. do and we have so we have two things we have like what's called the source sound which is like the vibrations of our vocal cords and whatever yeah. and then we've got the where we can like modulate that in our yeah. mouth and based on the different shapes and the the tissues and how they vibrate and stuff yeah and the cool thing about when you so they used heliox which is you know air air is what 20 percent oxygen mm. and you only really need that 20 percent oxygen you don't need the nitrogen and other stuff so what they did is they put 20 percent oxygen in helium instead, mm. which is also totally non-toxic and doesn't fuck with shit. So mm. they gave, they, the alligator still had oxygen and mm. helium. Yeah. Like you're exactly right. The reason it goes higher is because the air is less dense. And so it doesn't change the vibrations of any of the machinery, mm. but it does change what happens as it travels through that machinery. And so what they can do is they can record and, it'll record both the vibration of the source, but then also the vibration of what they called resonances or formants, mm. which... Formants is like uh, vowel sound shapes and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, O, U's and... And the different shapes that we make. And so they wanted mm. to know whether alligators did that. So they recorded it and oh, you'll have to find... There's definitely on YouTube because mm. I looked it up. Uh, you can find a sound bite of... I'm going to sample it and I'm going to put it into uh. music I make. <laughs> no, and also put it in the podcast right now so people okay. can hear it. Okay, okay, um, okay, okay. So when you actually look at like a graph of the frequencies, you still have the, you know, the base frequency, the dominant frequency. Mm. That stays the same whether there's helium or no helium because okay. it's coming from tissue vibration and the tissue vibration of like the outside of my throat yeah. is still going to vibrate the non-helium air, right? And it's going to get picked up yeah. by the speaker. But then it's also going to pick up the formants and the resonance frequencies that that I make with my speech. And that's mm. why your speech sounds high pitched, but your resonance, like your your outside vibrating thing, you're like, that's going to be the so, same. So, so you're saying that the helium doesn't affect the source it affects no. the modulation yes okay that's the opposite of what i would have thought i thought it would have made the source sound higher and then it's the mechanical part at the top that remains the same that's super fucking interesting the source, the source vibration mm. 
because it's it's the same source vibration. It just then travels mm. through your internal, you know, airspace, your mouth, whatever, mm. faster when that's full of helium compared to uh, not helium, okay. right? Yeah. And so if the alligator had not, like, had just kind of had that base level that hadn't had a very noticeable increase in its bellow, mm. then it you could assume that it doesn't use formants to communicate oh. in any way. But it did. And so it actually tells us, they think it, they use them to, to make themselves sound bigger, you know, because yeah. you can... You know, um, you could sing the same pitch as an E, but then do the same pitch as an mm. Ah. And you ah sound like a bigger, bigger animal. It's a more right? whole kind of sound, even though you're mm. you're singing the same frequency. Um yeah. or saying the same frequency. Mm. That's that's very fucking interesting. I wonder yeah. if, if you took a um a spectrogram of someone talking with or singing with helium versus not singing with helium, because like the way sound works, you've got your fundamental frequency and then you've got a bunch of overtones mm. on top of that as well. And if you look to spec look at a spectrogram that shows you all of those frequencies laid on top of each other, you whether yeah, the you fundamental would still, frequency the, will look the, the same the on both air and ah, helium. But then you'll have more overtones. But the one the overtones, overtones will, will, will go be more up. resonant. Yeah, okay. Will be that's will be higher pitched. That's yeah. very interesting. That's more complicated yeah. than I thought it was. It made me laugh yeah. and then made me think. <laughs> right? I'm gonna make you think just a little bit more. So animals that we know use these formants and these resonance um to communicate include mm. Birds, first of all, bird song mm. uses it quite significantly. And now apparently alligators. Now, an interesting mm. thing about birds and alligators is they share a common ancestor, right? And you know what also shares that same common ancestor? Mm. Dinosaurs. Say that again. <laughs> so birds, yeah. which use resonance to communicate. Uh-huh. Alligators, yeah. which do. Mm-hmm. And dinosaurs yeah. are all equally related to you know they all they yeah, all yeah, share yeah, yeah. a great great grand puppy yeah. ancestor yeah, yeah 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 um so quite possibly mm. and the research like the researchers literally think this that quite possibly this means that dinosaurs also do a similar thing and communicate using these formants formants oh. and some dinosaurs like the ones that have the big weird head shape things that like we don't really know why they have them. Mm. These researchers have been like, possibly it's more space in the head so it, they can make themselves sound like bigger, scarier dinosaurs oh, than they actually are. A little resonance chamber. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's and all cool. of these ideas have come just because they made this alligator do some helium. Right. So I guess it did require a few researchers across the world. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that the coolest? Yeah. That's incredibly cool. That is very incredibly cool. Yeah. Fun fact, that's how um, things like vocoders and talk boxes work in music. Like, um, mm. do you know what a vocoder is? Or a talk box? Think like... Um, like uh, Stevie Wonder used a talk box way back in the day. Or um, think like it kind of sounds like T-Pain. I think T-Pain uses auto-tune. That kind of like real... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the... Yeah. Um, image of heat, hide and seek, I believe, is uh, um, yeah. We have these like amazing chordal synth sounding things, but it's people talking. They work by 
rather than having your vocal your vocal cords being the source of the sound, it's a, a synthesizer, but then you run that synthesizer through the modulation of your mouth and your tech and your speech and that kind of thing. So that way it sounds like really robotic synthetic talking. So with a talk box, it's literally a tube that comes out and goes into your mouth and sound travels through that tube of whatever synthesizer you're playing and then the sound goes into your throat and then out of your mouth and you can speak and do that kind of stuff. You can try that sort of thing at home if you ever like playing music in your phone and you put your mouth on your phone speaker and go wow 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 wow. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And then a vocoder essentially does the same thing, but all digitally. Um, so that's now. Has anyone tried to use a vocoder while also helium? It wouldn't work. Well, no, it because it's know. still the sound waves traveling through. No, the because the um the air, which as long as the air is less no, dense, because they with can a, travel faster. Because with, I don't know. I don't think... I don't know, but someone that... should do it and they would win an Ig Nobel Prize for it. I bet you. This is Ig Nobel worthy research. That is I don't know. Ig I don't know what it makes you think about, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. It's, that's That's so a cool. good one. All right. Okay. What's the next one? I hate... I'm sorry. I hate to drag you out of the land of acoustics, but don't worry. I'm, I'll give you more... I'll give you more physics. Okay. Um, cool. And more waves. Um, so... The Physics Prize, the 2020 Physics Prize, um, mm -hmm. Ig Nobel Physics Prize, was awarded to researchers in Australia, Ukraine, France, Italy, Germany, UK, and South Africa for determining experimentally what happens to the shape of a living earthworm when one vibrates that earthworm at high frequency. They were jiggling worms. <laughs> Seeing what it <laughs> looked like. Jiggling worms. <laughs> um... <laughs> Why? Yep. Why were they jiggling worms? And you know what? I'm gonna okay. So I'm gonna make you continue to laugh before I make you think. So this this one actually partly came out of uh, Swinburne Uni in Melbourne. So shout out one of the researchers mm -hmm. harvested several earthworms in his backyard. First of all, mm -hmm. he didn't purchase them or anything. He just he was like, this is cheaper than any other scientific um, anything in my lab. I'm just gonna get some earthworms, and this is what we're gonna use for this uh, mm -hmm. physics study. He then sedated them in vodka to relax their muscles. So awesome. we've got drunk earthworms. Yep. And then he vibrated them on a loudspeaker. <laughs> and then he pointed a laser beam onto the surface of the worm. Oh, physicists. And measured the reflected light. You love your lasers, light. don't you? they got to point a laser at everything. Yeah, I know. Oh, fucking physicists. Fucking physicists, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> so drunk earthworms on a, on a vibrating loudspeaker, shoot them with some laser beams, um, and then measured the reflected light with a photo detector. Okay. And so when the spectrum of reflected light was analyzed, they were able to see what exact shape, wiggly wobbly shape these earthworms were making when they vibrated. Mm -hmm. Now this, this is why would you care? Why? Like who gives a fuck? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So when they, like when they, when they did this and they, they observed and analyzed this mm -hmm. light, they observed several peaks in this, like it formed a very specific type of wave. Like it wasn't just like a standard wave. Mm. It had these peaks or like with ripples yeah. on the body. Um, and these are very well known in, in 
to physicists, right? Um, they're called Faraday waves and they're ripples that appear on the surface of vibrating liquids, but only when the vibration amplitude exceeds a certain threshold. So you've got water, mm-hmm. you're vibrating it. And when, when that you're vibrating it beyond a certain amplitude, like with enough vigor, mm-hmm. um, then instead of just having like a, a steady ripple, you get these Faraday waves. Okay. Which are really cool. Is that um, to do with like they, constructive interference with the waves causing like big old spikes and look, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not a physicist. <laughs> I didn't entirely look into how or why these Faraday waves are a thing, but because I got distracted. Okay. That's all right. I got distracted on this study. That's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll quiz Benji next time he's on. <laughs> Because essentially they, yeah, they did this and they found that these Faraday waves that exist when water is vibrated also uh-huh. e- appeared on the earthworm, right? Which once again, we're talking about, it's, it's just a sack of water. We're just like using living creatures, which are sacks of water to see how we can make physics apply to them. Like we're going to levitate a frog. We're going to vibrate an earthworm. But the, the reason this is so fucking cool, mm-hmm. because this, this was a paper that was published in Nature, right? So it was a big deal. The excitation of Faraday-like body waves in vibrated living earthworms because of what they speculated could could have been made of this research. So you know what is also very similar to an earthworm in terms of just being a big jiggly sack of mostly water? Snake? Human? Neurons. Not where I thought it would go. This is why I got distracted because I Ah, I latched onto this angle and I was like, this this is fucking cool, right? (laughs) So at the moment we can control neurons because they're mostly, they're, they're, they, you know, we know that our nerve cells, our neurons communicate via electricity. So we Uh can implant electrodes into the brain and, you know, this is what uh, musky boy is planning on doing with his Neuralink thing. Anyway, to capitalize on the fact that there's electricity and people have this idea that like one day we're going to be able to upload our consciousness to a computer Uh via electricity. The thing about electrodes is that they are very invasive. Like to mm. literally insert it on an electrode, you have to do some hardcore surgery and, yeah. and shove a thing in your brain. You know what's not invasive? Air vibrations, sound waves, right? Mm. They, they can travel through human skin, bone and tissue without causing any damage. Like that's mm-hmm. how medical ultrasound imaging is done. Yeah. Right. So the theory goes... By externally generating ultrasound waves at different frequencies, mm-hmm. one might be able to trigger Faraday waves in the brain's tissues. And the researchers think that these Faraday waves could interact with the, essentially with your brain's nerve impulses and you could activate or certain signals the same way we do with electrodes, but using the vibrations of non-invasive sound waves and ultimately in some very futuristic utopia lead to a safe like sound-based link between brains and computers that is such a leap my goodness how did they make that connection that's crazy that's i mean there's a whole nature paper which i will link in the description if you want to like dive into the deep physics waters of it all but they vibrated some earthworms (laughs) and elon musk is paying attention now (laughs) yeah (laughs) Like, truly. Oh, my um, God. And I wonder then, I just, my 
when you reminded me about brains running on electricity, more or less, to the uh, levitation of a frog using magnets by making all of the mm. electrons go the same way. I wonder how much would that fuck with our brain and nervous system? Because, yeah, the frog seemed yeah. fine, but what's the cognitive function of a frog? If you tried mm. levitating mm -hmm. a person doing that, like, I don't know, what would that do to our brains i i don't know just a thought that i had while you were saying yeah that, but... a thought that's definitely a valid one mm. because um it's okay we're a long way from having the magnets strong enough and big enough to try levitating humans and hopefully by the time we get there someone will have thought about these things mm. before mm. shoving someone in a the giant mate. overpowered electromagnet <laughs> i hope i hope but you know science man science man this is where like man like that, using faraday waves to like upload consciousness jiggle your neuro i feel like and that with the Change mag levitation thoughts. i feel like we're starting to delve into the world of mad science you know and mad scientists I, that's doing exactly what things, i feel like that's you know, exactly that's, what this is because like, that's that's what all of these like there, essentially there, there, there's that's an excellent the, um and this uh, next one as well, huh? Sat do you know okay. Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal, the webcomic? No. I'll, 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 you'd probably recognize it if you saw a couple of them. Mm. I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's an excellent um, webcomic for various, like, three panel things. And it's all very science-based humor. It's very funny. Um, po pointed out in one of their comics, most mad scientists in fiction are actually just mad engineers. Just you know building. what? You've brought this up on the podcast before. I have, haven't I? Mm, and but this, mm. this here isn't mad engineering. This is legitimate. No, this mad is science. mad science. This is Definitely. a rare yes. example of legitimate mad science. Yeah, and I'm excited. Yeah, where there's proper controls. I'm scared, and got, you know, but what, actual what's papers different? coming out of it. Yeah, um, no, I love it. All, all right. right, so do you want to hear the final one for 2020? All right. Um, Lay it on me. <laughs> this is my favorite. I love this okay. so much. Okay. Uh, so the uh, Ig Nobel Materials Science Prize was awarded mm. to researchers in the USA and the UK for showing that knives manufactured from frozen human feces do not work well. <laughs> could you say they do a shit job? <laughs> you could say they don't make the cut. Oh. <laughs> oh. Why... Why, why? This reminds me of um, The Lovely Bones where it's like the icicle is the perfect murder weapon because it just simply melts away. And it's like, <laughs> but it's an icicle oh made of poop. But I don't know, it melts away and gives you septic, I guess. I, why, 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 why? That, that is all, why? Yeah, so you'd end up with sepsis and also no murder weapon. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, no, okay. So this <laughs> except is, that it this leaves is... the DNA of the poop. Any anyway, whatever. Go on. <laughs> yeah, this is one that um is more of a laugh than a make you think one, okay. but it's it's still fantastic. So essentially, this the reason they decided to study this all comes. It was an anthropologist that decided to test this kind of well-regarded legend. So there was this legend that was popularized by, by a different anthropologist, um, an anthropologist mm -hmm. and author named Wade Davis helped popularize this legend of an Inuit man whose family, the, as the legend goes, the family took away the tools of this man to 
attempt him to attempt to persuade him to leave the ice and join the settlement. Like stop, stop being an ice person. Like come home, man. And they took all his right. tools away. And he was so undeterred by this that he, he defecated. He honed the feces into a frozen blade, sharpening it with his own saliva. Uh, he then used the frozen what? fecal knife to kill a dog, use its rib cage as a sled. What? He used the hide to harness the sled to another dog and then rode off into the Arctic, never to be seen again. That's and, the most know, it's disgusting just... body horror Rube Goldberg shit I've ever heard in my life. Yep. Um, what do you mean sharpened so it with his own saliva? What? These guys fully came like, into licked like, it like they a... went into Mythbuster mode here and they were like, all right, let's, I'm intrigued. Let's do it. I'm still, so, what, what do you mean sharpened it with his own saliva? What, what? I'm not entirely sure. Does that mean he spat on it until the point formed? So he had an icicle of his own saliva for the, for the point like, of that? Or was it I, like, yeah, a... I don't know about that part. That's just how it was written. Yeah. They didn't, in the study, they didn't sharpen it with their own saliva. In the study, okay. they, they, I'll tell you about the study. They didn't do it like that. Okay. So in the study, essentially, he decided this, this anthropologist from Kent, Kent State University decided to run some experiments to test whether this frozen fecal knife could really, could really work as described and uh -huh. potentially kill a dog. Right. Yeah. And that was mainly what they wanted to test is like, will this thing be sharp and strong? So first he was like, okay, well, Inuit person, I'm going to go on a high protein, high fatty acid diet full of like beef, salmon, trying try to be analogous to what an Arctic diet would look like. Right. Like they so fully the tried to like, they were like, yeah. okay, we need to make sure the materials that we're building this knife from match the source materials. Right. Um, but then they also had another researcher do it. Also, but they stayed on a more traditional Western diet. So they mm. had one with like today's diet and one with like, let's try replicate an Inuit mm. diet, see if it makes a difference. Um, both these researchers then spent eight days pooping in a bag mm. and then fashioning knives out of feces. So they froze yep. them with dry ice to negative 50 degrees Celsius. So okay. like proper, proper froze them. And then they used like metal to like sharpen them down. They didn't use saliva. Um, and then... What they did. So, and then I actually watched a video, an interview with this guy. Cause I was like, this is, I need to know what's going on in your brain. Um, yeah. and at this point he was like, and you know, I was starting to think that like this actually might work. Cause apparently he was like, I was surprised how solid frozen feces actually were. He was like, am I about to like cut mm. something with a knife made out of my own feces. Cause like, that would be so fucking cool. Right. Like what? Yeah, like I, cool, I'm like, he sure. was genuinely convinced like yeah. that this was going to be a thing. Um, so instead of killing a live dog, thank goodness, yeah. what they decided to do is they, they got some pig, pig tissue, pig hide mm -hmm. muscle and tendons, which like, I would just like to say was also like cold compared to like a live dog, which is warm blooded and yeah. warm. Um, so, so you know, they're trying to give this knife, this frozen knife, the best mm. chance of succeeding. Mm -hmm. Alas, when they tried to cut, the knives just melted away without making any successful cuts and <laughs> leaving streaks of <laughs> melted poop behind. Just putting skid marks on it. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, um, that's yuck. And so the th it makes you think that uh, next time you're, I don't know, stranded in an Arctic environment, just grab a fucking stone or something like don't i don't know if there are stones out there but like... i don't know just don't waste your effort making a poo knife it ain't gonna cut it 
Ah, you motherfucker. I already used that pun. I used yeah, the same pun twice. Still, That's embarrassing. Um, like, just like, I can think of better ways to achieve that. That's such a roundabout. Oh my <laughs> God. They just had to, they just had to test this very well-known legend. Um, anyway, oh. I, I think it's hilarious. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. now we know. Thanks, science. Wow. Thanks, science. Thank Answering you, Answering the big questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> it deserves a prize. It oh, deserves I'm so something. glad it's going to win some <laughs> prize, right? Um, okay. So th- that's all the 2020. And then I've, I've got two more that I want to talk about. One from 2012 and one from 2017. Second last one, we've got the 2012 Medicine Prize. The Ig Nobel Prize in Medicine. Mm-hmm. Was awarded um, <laughs> for okay for advising doctors who perform colonoscopies how to minimize the chance that their patients will explode. Wait, like, <laughs> yep. Are we talking like a metaphorical exploding, nope. like explosive diarrhea? Because nope, no. Like we're talking, okay, we're so- talking literal. Kaboomy person go. Some kaboomy. background. Let's 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 wheel it back. So colonoscopies, mm-hmm. right? We 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 know we know what what those are. They're an examination up your colon for signs of like cancer. I love I love the two poop um, related ones in a row. I know, right? After a whole bum episode, like last, I'm on a I'm on a roll. <laughs> Apparently, what I think people need during a pandemic is butt humor. Butt stuff. So here we are. So. Back in the 1950s, mm-hmm. when colonoscopies were becoming a popular medical technique for, like, the first time, they were essentially still trying to figure out how to do them well. Mm-hmm. And there were a few basic problems that they kind of kept encountering. So if you think about the colon, please just take a moment. Think about the colon. <laughs> I already was from the last, from the last. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to think about it more, go back and listen to our previous episode on butts. <laughs> so the colon... Two issues, dark, narrow. So to examine it, you kind of mm-hmm. need to do a few things. Number one, you need mm-hmm. to make it a bit more spacious. <laughs> yeah. In order to do that, they pump a little bit of gas in there to, like, expand it, right? Okay. Um, you also need some light to mm-hmm. see in the dark. So let's start out with the gas. Initially, they used oxygen gas. Um, mm-hmm. Also, already in your colon you're going to have some methane gas. Humans produce methane. We uh, know this, right? Those two um, gases and then can go sparky, sparky, boom, boom. Quite light. Easily together. You know you know what happens when you have a light source? It emits, emits a bit of heat. Heat, oxygen. So we've got, let's, yeah, fuel. recap. Oxygen, <laughs> methane gas, heat, kaboom. Um, this is like a real thing. This is like have a, they don't use oxygen gas anymore. Like exploded um, from colonoscopies. Yeah. That so is terrifying. Between Jesus. 1952 and 2006, there have been 20 people that have experienced what is called colonic or colonic. I don't know how you would pronounce it. Colonic mm. gas explosion. Have they um, died? One was fatal. The others resulted in perforation of the colon. So like oh. ruptured. And they had to have emergency surgeries, etc. Like, hell. this is a real thing. Like, they don't use oxygen gas anymore, but you still—it's the methane gas—is the main thing mm. that's concerning. Is it's 
flammable and there is even with our fancy ass technology today, ha, mm. fancy ass technology, um, <laughs> you know, light sources are still going to probably emit some heat. They're going to require if you're electricity to run. Like there's always, like there's going to be oxygen in there. It's not exactly airtight. Like there's mm. oxygen in the atmosphere. Well, yeah. And like, it's so, you know, this, this is a real thing. And obviously we try to prevent it, mm-hmm. but like that, that's why there's a lot of prep work involved. Like if you're going to go get a colonoscopy, you'll often get told to like, you'll, you'll get told to do stuff. You'll get told to take laxatives. Mm-hmm. You'll get told to have an enema. Essentially what, what this particular study, or there's two studies, two different papers that won the Ig Nobel prize. Um, what they did is they essentially evaluated different methods used to prevent this horrific medical scenario, mm-hmm. uh, like taking laxatives or having an enema. Um, they found that, you know, the more stool that's kind of stuck up there, the more gas there's going to be, the more likely there's going to be like a, a earth shattering kaboom. Um, <laughs> yep. And so they found that laxatives were better at like flushing out. Enemas don't actually get everything that's right packed up there. So mm-hmm. laxatives, are be- none of that's really important. The moral, the take home moral of the story is like, uh-huh. if you're going to go get a colonoscopy, do everything your doctor tells you to do yeah. because, because there's a some high very risk smart doctors have exploding. written some very important instruction manuals do what your doctor says or you might actually fucking explode. Drink what they tell you to drink. Like, just... Fucking hell. Yep. I mean, I've never gotten uh-huh. a colonoscopy before. and I'm sorry to make you scared of them. Like, it's I mean, surgery. it hasn't happened since 2006 and That's it was only 20 people like, in, like, you know, 60 in, years. In the grand scheme of... Uh... But 20 people over 60 years, like, you know, and none in the last 15, like... And, you know, that's why research like this is being done, to prevent mm. it. Um, yes. But, yes, exploding bums. Uh, moving right <laughs> along to our grand finale. Okay, so, okay, okay, okay. 2017 Chemistry Prize. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how this, you can this... top exploding butts, but, you know, go on. I mean, this one just blew my mind, I think. At least like, it didn't blow your butt. <laughs> no, it didn't It didn't blow my butt. Um, so... <laughs> I'll read you, I'll read you, first of all, the title of the paper, Mm -hmm. because it tells you absolutely fucking nothing, but also everything. It's great. I love science jargon, but also loathe it. Mm -hmm. Sheer stress mediated refolding of proteins from aggregates and inclusion bodies. Yeah, what? That's, I understood none of that. They unboiled an egg. Okay, that's actually really fucking cool. They fucking unboiled an egg, or at least like partially they the egg white okay can, can you can you say the jargony bit again sheer stress mediated refolding of proteins from aggregates and inclusion bodies refolding opposite of denaturing eh i mm. would i would have thought that you would just call it naturing <laughs> <laughs> no renaturing refolding well i mean it is also called renaturing um but essentially these scientists developed a process that can, yeah, reverse denaturing and put proteins back into their original shape using mechanical energy to reverse the process. Entropy, so, eat your goddamn heart out. We uncooked yeah, an egg. I know, right? That's why I was like, <laughs> like, I think Listen we said something about not entropy. being able to uncook an egg in our entropy episode, but like, alas, here we are. So yeah, proteins, when heat is applied, proteins change shape, mm-hmm. um, which is, as you, you know, have kindly explained to us, is called denaturing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the chemical bonds between proteins... Let me reverse just a sec. Mm-hmm. Proteins 
are very complicated structures, right? They're kind of strands initially, but then they're folded into super intricate and specific shapes that are held together in those shapes by weak chemical bonds. Yeah. And then when you add heat, it disrupts those bonds and the proteins unfold, uncoil, unwind, and then they're just all like wiggly and that's denaturing. And then as you continue to heat it up, like when you're boiling an egg, these proteins clump together against their neighbors and they start to form new chemical bonds with each other Mm. and then end up as a solid gel mass, essentially. Yeah. Adding more heat is just going to tangle them further. Mm-hmm. Cooling them down is just going to freeze them. Um, we need a way, and like, you don't need to add, like, it's not a chemical process because we haven't, it's not like a form of cooking, like caramelization or something where you've, you've actually changed what the molecule is. Mm-hmm. No sort of, changing of form has happened here just a changing of shape that's what's important and so because it's just a changing of shape we can reverse that changing of shape we need to add energy we need to add something and so what they they these scientists created this like thing this device this that's like a glass tube vortex thing that Mm -hmm. like spins at like 5,000 rotations a minute, like super, super fast. Like a centrifuge kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but a thin tube. And so first what they do is they dissolve the boiled egg white into into urea to lubricate it. Um, Urea, yes, that urea, the urea that is in our urine. So Mm -hmm. let's piss on the egg. Uh, Not quite, not quite. But urea can act as a lubricant for the protein strands, right? So that they're no longer kind of bound to each other. They're still Take wiggly. Away they're still from denatured. This episode, piss is lube. Continue. Piss is lube. Yep. No. Gross. No. Don't. Infection. No. Let's. No. So. Continue. The protein strands are still denatured. Yeah. They're still all unwound, but they're no longer kind of chemically bound to to each other but mm-hmm. we still need to we still need to get them to fold back into their original shape like how how are we going to do that yeah the so. cool thing about spinning them in a in a tube is okay physics physics magic okay, okay. when you spin it it, it it sort of spreads out into like a thin film across the thing mm-hmm. but because physics the solution near the wall of the tube the outside of the circle is going to spin faster than the solution in the middle yes right like you know, if you if you're wrap, if you're struggling to wrap your head around that, like an analogy is if you think of like an athletics track, how there's like the inside and the outside. Like yeah. that's why they stagger the runners is because if they the were all started equal and then they all finished distance. at the same time, yeah. you know, the outside person would have to go so much faster, mm. or like a marching band turning a corner, the outside folk have to go faster than the inside folk to end up at the same point, right? Yeah. It's just how circles and movement. Work. Speed is distance over time. Outside of the circle is more mm-hmm. distance in same time, thus higher speed. Exactly. So this difference in, well, it's not even just speed, it's velocity. Right? True, because there's direction. Yes. So this difference in velocity creates like a shearing stress force that repeatedly stretches and contracts the proteins until they eventually snap back into their like native states and huh. stay there. And just stay unboiled. And then you can, like, reboil the egg. And There's actually a video it. on YouTube. I will link it in the description of this guy demonstrating. He, like, boils the egg. He puts it in the thing. And then he recooks it. And he's like, look, 
No, you wouldn't and eat then, it. And just eat it. Uh, <laughs> I thought I thought urine no. was meant to be sterile, so surely it's fine, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. I still wouldn't eat lab stuff, but um, <laughs> valid. So you're kind of like, okay, fucking what? Cool, whatever. But where's? I mean, that's enough to make you think. But yeah. like, why? Why did they? Why were they like? Like, what benefit does society gain from reboiling an egg? I feel like. I don't know. I mean, reboiling, unboiling. The idea of being able to uncook something is like. But it's not even all uncooking. Like, that's the thing. Like, you've got to remember it's just because the specific type of, and it's just the egg white, Mm. not the egg yolk. Okay. Egg white is mainly just protein and water, right? Like, there are some things that you can't do. Baby steps. But it's more to do with the proteins and being able to snap proteins. Mm. In back into shape is a really, really important, useful thing in oh, drug manufacturing. Okay. Not what I was right? going to guess, but I like that. Yeah. So, like, they actually developed this device not for the purpose of can we unboil an egg. They mm. set out to develop a device, which they've succeeded in, um, that's, like, easier and cheaper than other methods that exist for mm-hmm. refolding proteins. And so it's going to be potentially really beneficial in drug manufacturing. But then they were also like, hey, you know what would also work in this principle? let's unboil an egg and then they did and then they wrote a paper about it and they won an Ig Nobel Prize well deserved I reckon that is a bloody Mm -hmm. well deserved Ig Nobel Prize unboiling Mm -hmm. an egg I was gonna guess that you could like I don't know burn victims where they've done cooked their skin you could get skin grafts of you know but then you'd have to put their body in a centrifuge, and that just practically wouldn't work. And but, also you know. it, it depends what the burning does to the skin. It doesn't just denature the proteins. Yeah. Like you could maybe unmelt cheese. Like that's also denaturing of proteins, but you'd like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway. The only that reason is, I is... knew what denaturing of proteins was, it was one of like the first, one of the earlier things I learned because I remember in health class back in the day, our mm. health teacher told us, you know, they were telling us all this crap about how, you know, how bad soft drink is for you, which, you know, it is mm. bad. Can of Coke's bad for you. But in mm. one of the things they gave us, they were like, yep, if you put a steak in a can of Coke, it'll dissolve. And I was like, oh, yeah. fucking bullshit. So I bought <laughs> a steak. I got a can of Coke. I left it in there. It did not dissolve. It cooked it. It cooked the dang steak. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And I did some research and I learned that you can cook things or denature the proteins, not just through heat, but through chemical mm. processes as well. Yep. So you can cook salmon Because it's just a chemical juice. reaction that you can facilitate with temperature or you can facilitate chemically. Mm. Um, and apparently the reverse process can be facilitated mechanically. So, so if I get, fucking if I cool, took that right? steak, put it in a bucket and just swung my arm around really, 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 really quickly. At 5,000 revolutions a minute, maybe you could uncook I've got a steak. strong arm. I don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's me done with the Ig Nobels uh, for this episode. Sorry, it's been a bit long, but they were just, and they're like, you know, they give out so many awards every year since 1991. So the fact that I narrowed it down to that many is impressive. <laughs> you should be impressed. There was I one where impressed. they made fish fart. Oh, I could. Anyway, <laughs> that's a story for another time. Let's shuffle on to our listener question, shall we? Lettuce leaf. Um, lettuce leaf. Lettuce leaf. So simple, simple listener question. Mm-hmm. Um, today emailed in from e. e what is wind um fish farts <laughs> it's actually well, that's kind of wind here's <laughs> the thing well you'll actually find it's what um it's one of the early de- developmental forms of the eel um they <laughs> they actually start as the fucking wind 
before going into a river or some shit and being spawned at the Bermuda Triangle. It's, Gosh. So I'm still What's hung up on that. What's that line from the uh, Charlie, uh, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown musical where Lucy's singing, you know, teaching Linus about where wind comes from and it comes from the clouds? Oh, God, I don't remember that song from it. I'll be and, honest and with And grass you. comes up because the ants tug at it and tug at oh, it until yep. it, you yeah. know. Anyway, um, that's, a, that's a, you know, very, very niche reference that maybe <laughs> one person listening to this podcast, shout out mom, will understand. <laughs> uh, so Although dad would understand it as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Cool. <laughs> Glad my folks listen to this. So what is wind? Um, I don't know. Do you, do you, do you know what the wind is? Matt? It is... Um, my guess would air. be it's air, <laughs> but it's the movements of the air. But the air moves due to changing pressure systems within our atmosphere. And so just like how when you suck through a straw, it's because you're creating a lower pressure system in your mouth. So the rest of the world on the outside, the higher pressure system is pushing down on it, forcing that water to move up the straw into your mouth. My guess would be mm -hmm. the wind is the air moving from one higher pressure system into a lower pressure system in an effort to release it to, to reach some level of equilibrium in an ultimately large and chaotic system that'll never happened. And thus we have turbulent weather all the fucking time. Am I right? And with that, thank you for listening to this episode <laughs> of Curiosity Killed the Rat. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Pretty awesome. much exactly. I'm, you know, there there are a few things that I can I can flesh out in that answer, but it, mm. like that is exactly it. We've got high pressure systems and low pressure systems all over the globe, and air constantly moves from high pressure areas to low pressure areas. Mm. The closer the high is to the low, the stronger the wind is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um. And that is what we feel as wind. But like, okay, why, why, what causes See, the highs I don't and lows? know why. I don't know why mm, some areas are mm. high. I don't know why some areas are low. I just assume it's the random chaos of the world fucking with us. <laughs> yeah, no, there is, there is actually science to explain oh, okay, that as well. Cool. Let's go. So don't worry, you didn't steal all my thunder. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Maybe just a bit of your lightning. Okay, so the main thing that affects whether an area is high or low pressure or the main thing mm -hmm. that kind of affects air pressure is temperature. Right. Let me explain. Yes. Right? So, like, pressure is because, the, like, air has pressure because air has weight. Yeah. Air has molecules. Air has 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, like 1% argon, there's some carbon dioxide, water vapor in there as well. Like a bit of methane from all the fish farts and eels. Yeah, and it all kind of like acts as one thing that we call air, mm. even though it's lots of different things. But like all of these molecules have weight and, and atmospheric pressure is like the weight of all these air molecules kind of pressing down on each other, which is why mm. you've got greater air pressure down at sea level compared to like on the top of Mount Everest, yeah, right? Because there's more mass, just like how there's when you're in more, the ocean, literally just deep more down weight, in the ocean, mass. you've got the entire mass of the ocean on top of you. So of the atmosphere. crushing pressure. Pressing. But at yeah. the top of the ocean, uh, you and Yeah, and so like the air's the same as the ocean in the sense that like down at sea level, you've got all of the atmosphere mm. pressing down on you. Um... But it's not constant because temperature can change how these molecules interact with each other mm. and how much they kind of quote unquote weigh in a, in a sense. So heat will do three things to these air molecules, right? It'll, it'll make them kind of move faster. Heat yeah. energy, they vibrate faster, mm -hmm. makes them spread out 
Mm-hmm. And we've all heard hot air rises, right? They yeah, rise. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to know why they rise? They rise because they've spread out, because they've been given this heat energy. They've spread out, and overall so the air less is less dense. dense. And, of course, because they're in a fluid, area, the less dense things going to... I never... Yeah. Denser things are that. heavier. Right. I mean, I knew that, but I never put two right. Yeah. Exactly. To make that I was clear. the same. I was it's like, it's like, so of, obvious. Of course, hot but air rises. It's just time, like a fundamental truth of the universe. Hot air rises. Why does it rise? Yeah. We're but in a it fluid rises and it becomes because a less, it's dense, less fluid. dense. But of course, as um, it rises, it cools down. So then it would sink again, right? Because and, and so yeah, dense, dense hair, dense hair, dense <laughs> air is is heavier um, and sinks. And so what you end up with is these systems, these pressure systems, like pressure systems, mm. gosh, no, these like airflow systems where you have hot air rising mm. and then rushing in to fill that like, cre- so the hot air will rise, the sun will heat a patch of land, right? Mm. That hot air will rise, creating an area of like low pressure. So the the neighboring area of high pressure goes, huh? Free vacancy, like fucking free real estate, wow. rushes in, wind, mm. rushes in to fill that gap. And then the air that's kind of risen is mm. then forced and pushed into the area that the remaining kind of mm. low pressure that's been left behind by the, you know, and it's this constant sort of circle. And it happens, you know, if, you know, in an ideal non rotating kind of planet, right, where we've all the surface is made of the same shit mm-hmm. we would have what would happen is you would get like north south wind right because the equator gets more heat compared mm. to the poles we know that we've got cold antarctica arctic hot equator yeah. right so what you would get is you would get the sun heating the equator that would make you know that hot air rise there you'd get the cold air rushing in from the north and the south the hot air then travels up and you would just get these north south wind um, wind roots, yeah. but that is not what happens on our Earth. Our Earth because our Earth got a little tilty tilt to it. Well, like there's that, but also it's rotating, mm. um, and the atmosphere is like not attached it's to not the Earth. Static. Like you know, yeah. if you've ever, well, once again, shout out to Questacon. But do you remember that thing where you? Where I know you exactly sat, what you're about to talk about. You can but, probably describe it better than me. Go. Um. <sighs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay, well, you're sitting, like, imagine you're sitting on a seesaw, right? But instead of the thing rotating up and down, mm-hmm. you're spinning in a circle. But it's got two arms and it's got two chairs and you're mm-hmm. facing the person at the other end. Um, but it starts spinning in a circle. And you try play catch with a ball. And first mm-hmm. of all, you're throwing the ball back and forth. And you're like, oh, yeah. But then as you're spinning and you're trying to play catch with this ball, oh, it just... As it gets the, the faster, bending and you it have just, to, oh, like, gosh, it's lead whack. with your shot because you throw forward expecting you it have to, to go to the person. You have to preempt where the... But then the yep. ball just, like, hooks to the right or whatever because, of course, you're rotating. Yeah, because of something called the Coriolis effect. Um, so that, first of all, mm-hmm. has a big effect on what happens. So you get... Instead of it just traveling north south, it's and also it's the same. It's the same thing that I just talked about with the vortexing, the vortexing and uh, of the unnaturing of the proteins, mm. renaturing of the proteins. Um, the Earth at the equator is going to be rotating faster than the Earth at the poles, right? Because yes, bigger distance that's going to make a full rotation. Yeah. Full rotation at the equator is exactly the same amount of time as a full rotation at the pole, but the Earth is fucking rotating a hell of a lot faster at the equator. Mm-hmm. 
because the, the atmosphere is not attached, as yeah. these things try to drift from the poles to the equator, they mm. don't just go directly north-south. They kind of drift yeah. back or drift forward. So that's one thing that affects it, first of all. Mm-hmm. And also, like, internal little, like, hurricane swirls. And that's why, like, cyclones spin... Like different directions clockwise on, and anti-clockwise depending yeah. on whether you're north southern hemisphere More to do stuff. with that yeah yeah exactly um and so that's one thing that affects where our different wind high pressure low pressure mm. systems are another thing is like on a much less global scale like talk about like a, a great example they gave me like that i found was the example of a sea breeze and i thought any of our fucking Perth listeners mm-hmm. will know the Frio Doctor, right? Oh, the it's doctor. it's the sea breeze that comes every Arvo. Mm-hmm. Like if you've had a hot day and you're like, this is hell, you know that the cool sea breeze is going to come in at around 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. in the afternoon and cool you down. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? So that happens because, first of all, land heats up faster than sea. So think of just Fremantle as an area, or mm-hmm. if you want to just think of like a coastal area, the land, the shore, the coast, the whatever, the sand is going to heat up faster than the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so the air directly above the land is going to heat up. It's going to rise. The air next to the sea uh... is still cold. So it's higher pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's going to rush in to mm-hmm. the land where there's left a gaping low pressure hole. Mm-hmm. As a sea breeze. And then it just creates that rotational that circular system. Mm-hmm. And it comes in in the afternoon because it takes that amount of time all day till about 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. for that difference in land versus sea heat over yeah. like the sun bearing down over the course of the day. Mm-hmm. It takes that amount of time for it to heat to the point that it creates this sea breeze. Yeah. And it creates this difference in temperatures great enough. For, for that to be able to the happen. high low pressure system to yeah fuck so i wonder if that's why it can often get so windy in perth during summertime because that's something i've definitely noticed because of how hot it's going to get mm. on our big old flat stretch of land that is is well WA. and that's the other thing different different types of land heat up different amounts mm. like you know a forest is going to absorb a different amount of heat to like a sandy desert mm. compared to like you know different parts of the land so it's not just a difference between land and ocean Mm. across the globe it's a difference between different types of land and so that's why you just have like it's not just as simple as north south you know wind patterns but it's also many factors the different shapes of the lands the way the earth rotates the fact that the sun's shining Mm. down human activity which is why Climate yeah, change and I mean, is why it can adding be... to shit tons of storms and wind because we're changing how mm. hot the earth is getting, which changed the air pressure systems, which makes it more windy or less windy, hurricanes, mm. yada, yada, yada. And it's yada, how yada. meteorologists can then like predict the weather because wind also takes weather systems with it. Like it'll carry a storm and you can predict where a storm is going mm. based on where the highs and lows are. And some of it's predictable to an extent, like, you know, the Frio Doctor has a name Mm. right lots of wind like specific winds over the like around the world have names because they're so consistent Mm. and they they you know the trading routes back before we had boats that used anything other than sails to travel right Mm. people used to rely on wind to travel and and ocean patterns to like travel certain trading routes and those things had to be consistent and that's how certain trading routes and stuff were 
formed was just based on that's what the planet was willing to permit us to do mm. based on temperature, land mass, heating and spinning. Fucking whack. Yeah. So, um, so that's what wind is. That's what wind is. Fucking cool, right? And that's <laughs> to tell you yeah, what. So... Tell, tell you what that, that that blew me away. Ah, <laughs> good one. Thank you. Good one. Thank you. Uh, that was yeah, yeah. So I hope that uh, yeah, I had fun this episode. Thank me you too. for um coming on the wild ride through all the. We might have to do an Ig Nobel's part two you know sometime later when just next year's yeah. ones come out and we'll then make I'll make it an annual thing i'll uh, make it a more uh we'll do we'll do mm. a little mini ig nobel award ceremony and go through a bunch of the different real fun ones i just i just think there it's a very good example of good science communication because like as you heard from me reading out the titles of the paper versus mm. the way that they're communicated as like a comedic you know, it, it's a way of making the public interested in stuff that, like, if they just saw the title of the paper, they would be like, I don't care what Which that is great and not just doing. keeping science um, in yeah. the realms of science. And, like, they it's... do these, like, public, le- well, you know, not so much during COVID, or I think they maybe made some digital ones on YouTube, but, like, public lectures, they get the Ig Nobel winners to come and, like, give psychomy like, lectures about what mm. their research actually was about for the people that don't want to read the papers. And, you know... They, they make them explain their research in seven words or 40 seconds. And it really like, it's just a great, and it's just fun. Mm. It's just the best of science, I think. And I... We should all strive yeah. to be like the Ig Nobles. Yeah. I, I used to say that like, you know, one day I'd love to win a Nobel Prize. Like that is no longer a name that I have in life. But if someone wants to give me an Ig Nobel, <laughs> I would be stoked. I think oh, that's, yes. you know... I don't, I don't know what I could do that's ridiculous enough, but... Well, maybe um, you can be the person who actually practically does the Faraday shit with the neurons. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. It's too much physics for me, but... Uh, well, well, yeah. that's the thing. You've got to work with multiple researchers, right? So you can provide the neurological insight. True. And then true, true, true. get Benji Science to provide the uh, It's a the very physics. collaborative, yeah. And then I, I'll, I'll provide the sound waves. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something. <laughs> you could be part of it somehow. I'll sure. find a way. I'll sneak my way in there. I'll make you there. co-author. It's all good. Gone. Uh, <laughs> Even if I contribute nothing except like a forward, I'll uh, <laughs> technically forward. be an author. You've never read a scientific paper, have you? They're called abstracts. <laughs> the thing just fell next to me. Well, oh, Lord. yes. Well, I, I skimmed. I've, I've skimmed. Oh, uh, dear. Papers. Pa- 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 yep. <laughs> Anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, guys, you can find us on a host of social medias. Um, Facebook, Curiosity Killed the Rat. Le Instagram, at Curiosity Rat. And Twitter, at Curiosity Rat. Mm-hmm. Find us on Patreon if you enjoy the content that we are bringing to your eardrums on a fortnightly basis and you want to, like, financially make that easier for us to keep doing. You can find us on Patreon, slash curiosity rat but like no pressure my guys we are here for you with the fun funny science that i think should be free for everyone so mm-hmm. i'd like enjoyed. to think of oh us and as if you a have a listener question system. that you want me to answer one episode at uh no what is our email address matt gosh curiosity, curiosity rat, rat at gmail.com, at gmail.com. <laughs> curiosity rat oh, at gmail.com gosh. curiosity rat at gmail.com I used all my brain power learning 
seven different <laughs> studies for this episode, so I apologize for not being able to plug our pluggables in a very eloquent way. But that's all right. If you enjoyed the episode, and we will catch you on the flippity flop. Flippity flop, later skaters. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.